Hello, and welcome to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to share with you a very interesting conversation I got to have with Sean Askinosi. Sean is the founder and CEO of Askinosi Chocolate, which is an award-winning craft chocolate factory, but he used to be a lawyer. And the path from lawyer to chocolatier, in his case, is a very interesting one. In this conversation, we talk about career, or actually a better word for it, vocation, and the quest to discover more meaningful work wherever you are, whatever work you are doing. This is a conversation that really can help put you on the right path to give you clarity, not just in the current work you're doing, but finding the right work that you should be doing, or more importantly, living according to your vocation, no matter what work you're doing. I know you're going to enjoy this episode much like I did. So let's just jump right in and enjoy this conversation with Sean Askinosi. Well, this week, it is my privilege to sit down and talk with Sean Askinosi. Sean, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I don't know that I ever, when I started this podcast, thought I'd be sitting down and talking to somebody who was a lawyer, and then moved into being a chocolatier. <laughs> and I don't know that a lot of other people imagine that being a, you know, pivot career-wise at all. And in fact, career is probably not the word that you would use. And we're going to get into all that. But let's just start there. Let's talk a little bit about this idea. I, I want to fill in some of the backstory of you became a lawyer for certain reasons and then became a chocolatier instead of a lawyer, for other reasons. I'd love for you to share that first. Sure. The, when I grew up, I was, I was, my dad was a lawyer, so I sort of grew up with that in my blood. And he was uh, practiced a lot of criminal defense law in those days. And it was really uh, just my goal and aspiration to go to law school, become a lawyer. And, and so I did that and loved it for 20 years until I stopped loving it. And I'm sure some of your listeners can relate to that feeling when you stop loving what you're doing. And, uh, and then I sort of went on this journey of trying to figure out if I could stay in my career as a lawyer, if there was some adjustments I could make to sort of, um, almost get through it, if you will. And uh, when I figured that out that I couldn't, then it was really this just winding path of five years of trying to figure out what my next passion and inspiration would be. And uh, it and it ended up uh, and I landed uh, squarely in the uh, path of this idea of making chocolate from scratch, making it from the cocoa bean. And so I quit my law practice, which is not that easy to do. It took me a year to unwind that. And then at the same time, trying to figure out how to make chocolate. And uh, that transition period was a little bit odd, you know, to be in the courtroom in the morning on a meth lab sentencing case, and then in the afternoon, trying to figure out how to make chocolate. So that was a little strange. But (laughs) here I am. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and so you have a book out that's all about this pivot, as well as lessons learned and how to, you know, really do this well, not just on a personal level when it comes to meaningful work, but on a business level, and even a, a soulful level, really. And when I look at the words meaningful work, and I look at your pivot from being a lawyer, you know, lawyer jokes aside, 
<laughs> being a lawyer is meaningful work. You're you're doing you know you're saving lives and defending people and and all sure. that. And so some people would say, well, chocolate is chocolate. Like, what's meaningful about that? Great question, and and I I really appreciate you mentioning that. That you know, and and, and lawyer jokes aside, truthfully, truly, uh, many many lawyers around the world um, do their work, um, every day as meaningful work. And, and maybe it's just that one client that they're affecting and helping and achieving some kind of justice for. And, uh, that is absolutely meaningful work. And I think the question that you ask, um, really, ra- I think it really raises the issue that the dignity of our day and how we spend the day and the fulfillment that we receive from it is not really dependent on um, the thing that we're doing or even the title of our of our job, but it really gets to the attitude that we have um, in sort of our own interior life and how we approach the daily tasks of our job, whatever it is, whether it's um, that of a a line cook or an assembly line um, factory worker or a chocolate maker or a lawyer. And, and uh, cause you, you and I both know people who we see the work that they do and, and we think, gosh, that person surely must be fulfilled by the work that they're doing and what a cool job this person has. But really sometimes when we talk to them and, and uh, they sort of open up to us, we find that that's not the case. And so we, we learn early on that, that it's, it's really inside us to bring the dignity to the work day, I think. And, and so it's true for chocolate. I love that you're using that word dignity. And I think this kind of comes back to something that I'm not necessarily sure that you hint at as much, you know, the, the shift or the, the difference between the perspectives and uh, the the approaches, but you use the word vocation a lot in the book, but you don't really use the word career. And I think there's a there's a definite difference of uh, opinion or approach there. Whereas you know, like for example, vocation is the reason you're doing the thing, but career is just the job. So for example, in the book, you say that your 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 grandparents their their job was farming. Their career was farming, but their vocation was this much more meaningful approach. It was this growing and harvesting food to nourish people. And so even something as, quote, mundane to mm-hmm. me or other people, to them, this was this high calling vocation, meaningful work. And they knew not just the the what of it, but the why behind it. 45-year-old burned out lawyers uh, find me. And, and, (laughs) and, and, and so, and, and there are people who are not, they're not satisfied or fulfilled in their daily life. And, and often there's this mistake of, well, what's my next job? What's, what's the next thing that I'm supposed to do? And what ends up happening is sort of leapfrogging over, the interior work that we need to do in our own lives in order to establish um, joy 
and fulfillment during the work day, no matter what it is that we're doing. And that's what it was for my grandparents. And I spent so many years traveling around the world and going to school and law school. And, and uh, there were many years that I kind of, I didn't have the kind of admiration and respect for my grandparents that I do today. They were not highly educated. They lived on the same farm for over 60 years. They didn't travel. They back in those days, I sort of viewed them as simple. And I regret that. I mean, it, it is one of the great regrets of my life. And now I see there and they're, of course, they're um, deceased now. But I, I, I look at their lives, their lives, and I, I hold that model up as an example, um, an aspiration for my own life, this that they worked with their hands, they made a living, they weren't rich, but they um, were able to find this joy in sharing with others, helping their neighbors, expressing kindness. And I would have never thought about that when I was in college. I mean, I thought they were, you know, just simple people. And I, that was my mistake. Yeah. Well, and so they were simple, but in a good way. And you just right. didn't notice it at the time. It sounds right. like that's what you're saying. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm saying. And so what, and so this, what, what, what this means is, is that what, ha- what can happen is this struggle um, in our career, we'll call it a career, this struggle of, I don't like my job. I don't feel good during the day. It's, um, I feel depressed or anxious and I, I can't get out of this rut. And <clears throat> I think it's important to find someone to talk with, a mentor or um, a coach or someone who can sort of walk through these steps and determine, well, what is it? You know, why are you, why are you feeling this way? And, and that work is important before leaping to the next job and finding, you know, and finding themselves in the exact same place that they were just two or three years before. And this is hard work. I mean, what we're talking about right now um, is, is really hard and it's not dependent on your boss, your, your work group. It's you, it's, it's me, it's me. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, um, Gandhi talked about this. I mean, and, and, and Jean Vanier, who I quote extensively in the book, talks about this, which is, he said, I don't want to change the world. I can't change the world. I want to change me. <laughs> you know, that's, that's my, and I, I, that's, that's my hope as well. You know, I, I've given up long ago trying to change the world. I want to change me. I'm still, I am a lifelong project. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and, and, and I, and I want to, I want to work on that. That's what I want to do. So ideally, somebody, before they ever enter into the scenario, you know, say say they go the traditional route, they graduate high school, and they even go, they have an inkling of kind of what their passions are, their interests are, and they're even studying that, say, perhaps in a college-type setting or a university setting, and then they step out into the, quote, real world. Ideally, at that moment, or probably before then, depending upon, you know, how their life has worked out up till that point, they've been starting to do some of that heavy internal work, that introspective work, those the lifting up of the big rocks and discovering themselves before they enter into uh, vocations 
that uh, a vocation or vocations, not just a career uh, or jobs, but even if they've not fully figured that out yet, this approach to uncovering your personal vocation that you have in the book, I think can really set some of them and even people later in life who've already had jobs and careers uh, and haven't discovered a vocation. It can really set them up to be able to move from job to job as they discover it this vocation with much more clarity and the ability to find the meaning and do meaningful work in what they would look at as just a job just a job wow that was really good i may need to <laughs> well, get a transcript you. of that paragraph i'll, sa- I'll send <laughs> just, that over yeah please do um well, and, and this is, it's a process, right? Yes. And so I talk to middle school kids. I, I talk to a oh, lot wow. of middle school yeah. kids and I talk to high school kids. I just got back from Tanzania a couple of days ago, taking a group of local high school students to meet cocoa farmers. And so I, I spend a lot of time talking to young people and I'm glad you brought that up because for young people to begin this process, as you say, lifting up the rocks, begin this inner um, exploration, and to become familiar with that conversation um, with ourselves is really, really important if we can kind of develop some of those skills and start to develop those skills as a young person. Because as you pointed out, I mean, these are are the kind of things that um, that will support us and buoy us in life so that when we're 50 and wanting to, as you said, you know, maybe a change of job or a change of career, that we'll have some tools in place that will permit us to, to go on this path and, and, and this inner exploration won't be a new thing. And so I don't expect a high school student to have it all figured out and know exactly what it is that they want to do. But if they can, if, if they can, begin to um, learn how to ask some of these questions of themselves. That's in my view, um, 90% of the, the way of getting there. Let's say we hop into the time machine. If you had had the, you know, steps to uncovering your personal vocation back when you were just exiting college and heading into, you know, law school and all those kinds of things, I'm sure there were many other jobs before that, but that if you had those then, you still may have followed the exact same path, but it wouldn't have been as much of a painful struggle. I think it probably would have still been a struggle because I think it's still important that it's hard work to, again, do this introspective work. But it would have been less painful to a certain extent. I don't know that. I said, no, I agree. You know, and, and maybe not less painful. Maybe the pain is part of it. I don't know. But <laughs> well, there's no question that the pain is part of it. And for. I can't say for everyone and that's, I'm not, you know, the book I hope is not me writing a prescription um, because I I just hope that, that it um, resonates with some people who find. And, and so, yes, I think that pain is part of it. And, um, but I think that, like you said, if we can develop some of those skills then we can we can we can learn that we're getting deep here, but we can learn to um, recognize that that pain is part of it. I didn't at the time, and so I struggled against that. And I think that um, 
there was uh, a greater degree of turbulence, if you will, um, in the process for me that might have been not necessary. So the, I think the pain was necessary, the sorrow um, and broken heartedness, really. And I talk to young people about that a lot and talk about broken hearts. And I think it's I think that that there's no way to avoid that. But I think that um, understanding what's coming, having some awareness would have made it a lot easier. For example, so maybe maybe I might not have had to go on Lexapro or, you know, because that or, or maybe it wouldn't have been five long years. Um, and maybe the the entry point would have been a sort of shorter time frame for me. And but, you know. Uh, it's hard to, it's hard to kind of, um, look back on this in reflection and, and make judgments about how it could have been different. Or I I think it's important to say, okay, here I am. Um, and then if I can share the story in such a way that people see themselves and can apply some of these lessons in their own lives. Yeah. And, and so hence again, the time machine doesn't exist. So what Mm -hmm. is, what is, but What's great is, you know, you went through this journey in order for us, the reader and those that are listening, to start to uh, figure out some of these steps. Let's actually talk some – let's talk sure. about uh, some of these steps. There's six steps. And and by the way, I want to say this first. You've got the – in this book, you've got the steps to uncover your personal vocation. But then what's great is later on in the book, you've got steps to uncover your business vocation – what would you say is the main difference between the two of those things? The main difference is let's start at the at the end with the latter and that is if you're an entrepreneur, CEO, founder and you are leading the group, then the difference between integrating your vocation, your of your personal vocation and your business vocation is actually pretty easy and there aren't a lot of differences but when you aren't one of those things so if you're maybe leading a work group or you're part of a team or you're a partner um, with other people then the main difference is finding some consensus about what it is that is the uh, driver and the the pull and the calling of this work that is the vocation of the company, of the entity. That's it. But other than that, and so there are some exercises that I outline in the book for businesses um, and organizations to to figure this out. You know, what is their calling? But if you're the entrepreneur, founder, CEO like me, well, uh, the I'm finding what my personal vocation is. And then I look for ways to integrate that into my business. And, and this is important, um, to to bring others along with me. In other words, can I get consensus from the group that I'm with, even though I'm the leader? I mean, I can't do all this by myself. I need to inspire others. And are they going to find this to be um, a meaningful business vocation for them too? And so that's, I think, maybe the main differences and similarities of, of what it is to have a vocation for you yourself and for your business. And so personal vocation would be, you know, I would have one, you would have one, uh, your quote employees would have one, but then your business would have one. And ideally your employees vocational, uh, sorry, your, your employees vocation would personal vocation, I should say would align 
with your business vocation enough that they're on board with the businesses. You know, I, I, a lot of people would almost switch the words out here and say mission statement, but I think that's almost lim- limiting and more proclamation like versus vocations more of a, I don't know, holistic or all encompassing like a, it's more of a being word. I think it is. And I, I think that in some instances, the mission statement, as you say, as a proclamation, um, can be, I think it can be the same as, um, a company's vocation. I, I remember talking with Ari Weinswig at Zingerman's about this very thing when I was writing the book and he, he, indicated to me that, yeah, you know, our vocation is our mission statement. Go read our mission statement. That's what it is. But as you say, the, 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 the vocation is living it out. It's the, it's the day-to-day things that we're doing, um, and, um, finding ways for our employees to be engaged in the, in the mission and vocation of the company. And something that I'd like to mention that's important is not everyone has to have the same um, degree of buy-in. We're, we're a small outfit here. I mean, we're only 16 people total, full-time in my little chocolate company. But And not everybody is fully on board with every project that we work on. And I used to, in, in the early days, I would be very defensive about that and think, wait a minute, why – why are you not on board with this now? I like that. I, I think it's, I, and, I, and I write about this, that I think it's important that um, we not have employees that are just all completely lockstep with all of our ideas and the thing that we see as the mission, because I think it sort of makes for a better product or service if there are sometimes competing views about the best way to execute the, the, the vocation of the company. And, and so I like that. And I look at it not as balance, but more as um, harmonizing these competing interests. Um, and so I think it's really important um, that, especially as a leader, that I'm able to accept those, hear them, and incorporate them to make a better product and service. Well, I think, I think then again, that's why it's good to have a business vocation that is thought out, you know, processed and makes a lot of sense, you know, that the business itself has that vocation. But then in your case, the 16 people each individually have their own personal vocation because then they're bringing different, I don't know, flavors, perspectives, mm-hmm. goals, and they're then able to look at the the execution of the singular business vocation through the lens of multiple personal vocations. Absolutely. Let let me give you an example. So we have someone in the company and this person's um, vocation as it relates to the company is I want to make the absolute best chocolate, the best tasting chocolate that, that we can make. I am laser focused on the quality of this chocolate. That's what I care about. I want to know all the ins and outs and nuances of this batch versus that batch. And you know what? The fact that we're feeding a thousand kids a day in the Philippines is good, but that's distant from me personally. And so I'm focused on the quality of this bar right here, right now. It's in front of me today. 
Well, another person in the company is focused not as much on the quality of the chocolate bar right here, right now, but is focused on, are we um, properly measuring the the height and weight of these kids in the Philippines to know if our program is a success in helping alleviate um, malnutrition in this school? And what does that have to do with this chocolate bar? And so now I'm giving kind of extreme examples, but these are real life things that are going on all the time, swirling around in my little chocolate company, <laughs> but it's great. And it's, and it's, it's awesome because when you pull back and look at this from a higher elevation, you see that there's a great result there. And, and, um, in some ways it's kind of hard to explain because it's not neat, you know, and often messy, but the result is pretty cool. And it's, it, and when you look at it from a high level and say, okay, you know, our, our vocations, we want to make the best tasting direct trade chocolate that we can make in the world. And that, that is supported by our vocation of working directly with farmers, which is what I just got back from Tanzania. I've been working these, with these farmers for almost 10 years and the same farmers. And we want to work directly with them. We want to have relationships with them. We want to share profits with them. We want to show them our financial statement in their language. And so all of this is not just because I want to have great cocoa beans from these farmers. It's for, for me as a leader of the company, I, I want to go and, and see these farmers and just experience it. I, I want to get to know them. I want to see the crops and what, what's happening here. Well, I'm, it's, it's an expression of, of me honoring my grandparents that we talked about earlier in the show. And can, you know, can I treat farmers around the world in a way that is honoring the way that my grandparents were with me? And that, and so that's what I'm doing. And that, so the vocation of making this great tasting chocolate is supported by working with farmers, which is also supported by working with students. That's another vocation of our company, working with young people here in Springfield, Missouri. And so all of these things, it's almost like a circle. So the work that we do with the farmers and the work we do with the students supports us being able to make great tasting chocolate. And we make great tasting chocolate because of the work with farmers and students. It's, it's all. And so what I like to say is these, these vocational activities um, really are inseparable from each other. So that it, what I'm saying is, is that if, if we weren't working directly with farmers and didn't have the chance to work with students, we wouldn't have the same product. You could give somebody our beans, our recipe, our sugar, tell them how to do it, and it wouldn't be the same chocolate bar. It just wouldn't. And so I, I find a lot of, um, uh, what's the word? I'm, I'm gratified by this because I, I see it, and I see how it all kind of works together, even though it's messy. Kind of wabi-sabi. Really, <laughs> or, or or melted chocolate. It's messy, but it tastes yes, good. exactly. Yeah, right, <laughs> right, right. We're going to hit pause for just a moment on this conversation to say thank you to our sponsors for making this episode possible. Today's sponsor is Babbel, the number one selling language learning app in the world. 
I wish that I'd had Babbel when I was learning French in junior high and high school and some of college, because Babbel's lessons are designed to make it easy to speak confidently in a new language and actually remember what you learn. And by using Babbel, you can be speaking a new language within weeks. They teach you through interactive dialogues, fun trainers, speech recognition, and quizzes which all get you ready for practical conversations and situations like chatting with new friends or ordering food, asking for directions, the things you really need to know when you're interacting with those speaking a different language than you. And you can do it all in 10 to 15 minute lessons that are available in an app or online on your own time. And it's easy to fit in because again, 10 to 15 minute lessons makes it simple. So if you're wanting to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, or many other languages, go to Babbel.com and use the offer code BEYOND to get 50% off your first three months. That's Babbel.com, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L.com, and use the offer code BEYOND for 50% off your first three months. Hiring used to be hard. You had to use multiple job sites. Stacks of resumes, confusing review processes, but today hiring can be easy and you only have to go one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash beyond. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's best leading job boards, but they don't stop there. Their machine learning technology scans thousands of resumes to find the people with the right experience and then invite them to apply for your job. ZipRecruiter is so effective, 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. With results like that, it's no wonder ZipRecruiter is the highest rated hiring site in America. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash beyond. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash beyond. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash B-E-Y-O-N-D. ZipRecruiter.com slash beyond. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And filter easy. Filter easy is the easiest way to make sure that you don't forget to change your air filter on a regular basis. And the way that they help you with that, like they did for me, is it shows up on your doorstep. Suddenly, you remember... Because, again, it's sitting there on my doorstep, delivered to me, and I remember, oh, it's time to change the air filter. And I literally use that as the cue to not procrastinate changing it, bring it in, and immediately change it right then and there. They will do the remembering for you. When it's time to change, they'll be at your doorstep. And when you think about it, you really ought to be changing your filter more often than you are based on dust and allergens and indoor air pollution, and especially if you've got pets. Filter Easy is the convenient subscription service for something you need, unlike a lot of other subscription services. It's super practical and a no-brainer. That's why I subscribed to Filter Easy. As a listener of this program, you can receive your first order free free by visiting filtereasy.com or calling 1-855-910-EASY. That's 1-855-910-3279. And either way you go, filtereasy.com or calling that number, make sure to use the offer code BEYOND. Again, sign up today at filtereasy.com to get your first order free, 1-855-910-EASY, promo code BEYOND. You're getting at, I think, the answer. It's a long form answer and it's, it's hard to state, make a statement about, but telling the story and explaining this 
personal vocation and business vocation to them, then they can come back around and understand, oh, so now I can see why somebody would change over from being a lawyer to working in chocolate or somebody else who maybe they aren't, maybe their personal vocation doesn't involve the words chocolate anywhere, but they definitely want to work with farmers or they definitely want to work with Mm -hmm. high school kids or young kids, or they want to work with chocolate specifically. And you've got, so then you've, of your 16 people, you've got these personal vocations in each of them that because collectively they all work together, the business vocation is operating at this much higher, not just business level, but just it's able to do things that even just saying, oh, we're a chocolate company. Like that's so limiting. You're way, you're so much more than just a chocolate, than just a chocolate company now. Well, we, we say around here, it's not about the chocolate. It's about the chocolate. And, (laughs) and, and that's, that's what, that's what you just said. I mean, essentially that's what, and that's what we're saying. We're saying, well, yes, it's about the chocolate. I mean, man, we got to win every award that we can and we need to be affirmed around the world that we're making great tasting chocolate and that it's a good deal. It's a good value and it, it stands on its own as a great product. And we must focus on that with everything we have. And that's about the chocolate. But on the other hand, me taking 15 high school students to Tanzania to meet cocoa farmers, which is quite an undertaking for our little company. And I've been doing it for a long time. That's not about the chocolate. It's about giving these young people an opportunity at transformation to understand what it's like to receive radical hospitality from village farmers in a remote corner of Tanzania and to experience their song and their dance and their food and to have their senses completely engaged and come back different people. That's not, that is not about chocolate, but in another sense it is. And, and it's just, and I could say that for anyone's business, anybody's, but your business, this, it's not about the podcast. It is about the podcast. So I, you, when we talked before uh, you uh, hit record, you are trying to let people in on change in their life and finding ways to be more fulfilled in their life. Well, that, that's, that is a noble endeavor and on the other hand, you could just be interviewing people, you're trying to get sponsors, and it's really just about how the numbers, and it's really about how many downloads you've got, and that's really what it's about. And But that isn't what it's about. It isn't. Otherwise, you wouldn't be as successful as you are. <laughs> and, and, and Well, no, I mean, I looked, I've looked at the list of guests, and I'm like, dang. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing in this list, but, but that's, so, so that's, that's what I'm saying. We could say that about anything. We could say it about auto parts. That's why I, I want to encourage young people and old people. Hey, can you, do you think that there's some, um, open heartedness and joy that you could squeeze out of your work day? And the answer is yes. Do you want it? I mean, do you want to feel that at work? And if the answer is, yes, I do want to feel it, well, then there, there are ways you can do that. You yeah. can. The goal is excellence in whatever craft it is that you are doing, regardless of the craft. Yes, and, that's and, the goal. And, and excellence in all aspects of it. Yes. So. Yes. And, and what we find is, as we pursue this excellence, we absolutely have the time and the energy 
to express compassion, kindness, mutuality, kinship, all of those things at the same time that we're pursuing excellence in all aspects. We can do that. I talk to so many entrepreneurs who say, you know, hey, I want to I want to profit share with farmers or I, or I want to do that kind of a thing. I want to direct trade or I want to do more things in my neighborhood and quote, give back, but I need to wait until my NOI is better, I've got better cash flow, more employees, or I, you know, have capital to undertake this next invest. But there's always a reason not to do this. But but what you and I, I think, are saying is that, you know, they kind of, these things go hand in hand, and we shouldn't wait. We shouldn't wait for something else to happen in our business in order to give ourselves permission to find ways to express compassion and kindness at work. And I mean, we just shouldn't, there's no reason to wait. And and there's no reason to wait because really, if you're already working on doing that, again, that introspective work of uncovering your personal vocation, then if you've already, if you're already aware of that to even any extent, it's going to start to leak out of you uncontrollably anyway. So actually let's, let's go through these steps, like some of these steps for the, for the personal one, um, for the personal vocation. So I'll, I'll, you know, a lot of, some of these stick out to me more than others. I know that for example, (laughs) going, jumping all the way down to to the bottom at step Mm -hmm. six, I think, I, I think before steps one through five even come into play, I think, Thinking about step six, which is discover the internal space where you can ponder your next steps with clarity. I think that internal space and allowing for that is going to make steps one through five actually mm-hmm. easier to do. Yes, sir. That's exactly right. Uh, what, and But what happens sometimes is, or at least what happened with me, is I what I, I built a career, a successful career as a criminal defense lawyer, um, working so hard that I, I knew more than anyone else did in the courtroom. And the only way I did that was just by working harder. And so I believed that, well, I can find the next thing I'm going to do in my life. I'll just work it. You know, I'll just, I will research it. I will talk to people. I will. And so I was so driven and motivated in my life that I couldn't ever get, I was forced into this step six. I was forced into it. And um, I think there are a lot of people who can relate to what I'm saying. That is, you know, I'm a driven person. I accomplish things. I've maybe someone has done well academically and they did that because they worked hard. And so therefore, surely uh, finding my, my vocation is just another thing that I can work hard at. And it just doesn't work that way. It doesn't. So getting to step six, you're right. If we could, if we could focus on this idea of creating internal space, I think that's the key to the other five steps. Absolutely. It's just that, like, take the first one, for instance, which is, you're, you know, don't think that you're going to find this with endless research. Um, I say you're not going to find it online. You're not going to find it in my book. Uh, that probably isn't great for book sales, but I mean, <laughs> you know what? And I talk about, it. I read Poe Bronson's book, what should I do with the rest of my life? Poe Bronson, he's a great writer. It's a great book, but I kept thinking at the end, there was going to be like a chapter written in invisible ink that was just for me. You know, that said, <laughs> Sean, Sean, 
read this. This is what you're supposed to do with your, no, of course not. I mean, it doesn't happen like that. So, so if you're a doer like me, then please try to begin this practice of accomplishing this step six that we're talking about of creating internal space by backing away from the Google search box, you know, just back away from it because you're not going to find the answer there. You're not going to do it. We've all got the Google search box basically in our pocket. Mm -hmm. If we've got our smartphone with us at all times, which, you know, Mm -hmm. is a whole other thing anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I think that maybe makes it seem like it should be easier to be able to just jump in and say, Oh, right. Well, I kind of like doing this or I kind of like doing that. And it's not, it's not about what you kind of like doing or even what you, you know, have a passion for doing even. It's not about just a follow your dream scenario because again, the, the road from lawyer to chocolate was not necessarily mm-hmm. uh, an easy path. You know, you had to, no. but, but that's not to say that. For example, step two is actually inventorying your talents and your passions and not only about you, though, but where then does the world need those passions? Yes, yes. And I think setting up, spending time journaling, writing, meditating, contemplating this step of of seeing where those intersections are the intersection of talent, passion, and needs of the world. Frederick Buchner, the theologian I quote in the book, uh, the way he said it was that this is where our deep gladness meets the needs of the world. So, right. It's not just a, um, oh, I feel like doing this thing. It's, it's not, it's, it's a reasonable and achievable thing based on your skill set, your passion. And where that intersects with the needs of the world. I think it's a great exercise. And I think if, if people are sort of stuck, they're just sitting down and writing, just spending some time in the morning before your workday, just spend 10 minutes just writing about this step, I think is really, really helpful. You also talk about in step three, beginning with your sorrow. Um, I'd love for you to, you know, because some people are like, well, if I'm going to figure out what I'm going to do. Okay, it makes sense for me to skip the research. It makes sense for me to inventory my talents and my passions. And sure, I'll, I'm open to deciding where the, what the world needs and my talents and passions intersects. But what does my sorrow have to do with this? Uh, Khalil Gibran, poet philosopher that I quote in the book says that our greatest joy is our sorrow unmasked. And he says that the greater the sorrow, the deeper the sorrow, the greater the joy. And I believe this to be true. I didn't know about this at the time. But uh, if I could ask people just one question, just ask one question about their vocation and how to spend some time locating it, I would ask them, where does it hurt? I would ask, where does it hurt? Because I want to know what broke your heart. That's what I want to know. And I... For me, it was when my dad died. I was 14. He had lung cancer. And he, like I said before, he was a lawyer. He was my hero. He was a very fit guy, had been in the Marine Corps for many years. And, and here he was dying right in front of me. And I, I couldn't believe this was happening. And it was terrible. And I stood next to his bedside when he died. And I begged God to please not let him die, you know, to please let him live. And he had a stroke right there and, and died. And I was, 14. And that was really, really hard. And 
I spent 25 years basically running away from that, thinking that the more accomplishments that I had in my life and whatever aspect it might be, um, that that would be enough to sort of push down that heartbreak in my life and to, to dispense with it once and for all, but it wasn't. And so during this five year period of winding around, trying to figure out what I'm going to do, I ended up taking a, a volunteer job on Fridays at our local hospital in their palliative care department, which is essentially end of life care. And I didn't do anything fancy. I just, I mean, I was just a volunteer. I was still practicing law at this time. And but on Fridays, I'd go visit patients who were in some state of dying in the hospital, maybe cardiology, neurology, oncology. And these were people who often didn't have friends or family. And so they'd requested a volunteer to come visit. And I would just knock on their door and I would ask them just about things and about their lives. And we would just make small talk. And sometimes I would read to them. And at the end of my visit, I would say to them, hey, uh, one of the things I do as a volunteer is pray for people. Would you like me to say a prayer for you? And 99% of people in, in, in palliative care, I found, will take a prayer. And I would say, well, what would you like me to pray for? And that often would open up a whole other lane of conversation. And they would say sometimes, well, would you pray that I live two more weeks to my 60th wedding anniversary? Or would you pray that I die today? Or would you pray that I'm healed and I can walk out of here? Or will you pray for my family that they're okay after I die? And I would ask them if I could touch their hand or their shoulder, and I would pray their exact words back to them. I didn't judge it. I didn't. I just used their words, prayed their prayer. And here's what happened. I would, I would leave and when I left the hospital, there were some days when I walked out of the front door to my car that I felt like my feet weren't on the ground. It was as if they were three or four feet above the ground. And I thought, well, what is this? And what it is, is joy. It, I mean, I'm not saying, Eric, that I was levitating off. I'm saying it felt like that. And so well, what I people who, who are listening might think, wow, that is really morbid. Why would you get such joy when you're spending time with people who are dying. And the reason is because it was my greatest sorrow up to that point, up to this point uh, in my life. My father dying right in front of me for two years in pain, cancer pain. And so to then turn that around and be of some service of kindness just for a minute no, not even minute. It was, it was measured in seconds where I actually thought about someone besides me and, oh boy, I need to find my next job. I need to find my career, my vocation. What am I going to do? And I'm getting depressed about it, getting anxious about it. All about me, me, me. Well, for a second, I thought about someone else. And this is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm saying when I, when I say, if I could just ask one question of people, I would say, what broke your heart? What is breaking your heart? And let's talk about that. And if there's a way that you can serve someone who needs you, then there's a there's a path to this step that we talked about at first, this step six of discovering internal space. So that's what happened. I didn't even know what was going on at the time. So while I'm doing this work of just for a, a second thinking about somebody else, 
that created internal space in me to be able to think about what I was called to do next in my life. And so I know it's, for some, it may be confusing and they may think, well, wait, why didn't you just be a hospital chaplain? Well, that's, that just wasn't my calling then. That's, that's, uh, but, but, but the work that I did as a kind of quasi hospital chaplain allowed me to think about what's next during those years of visiting people in the hospital. That's what happened. It to, I mean, I've, I've done a lot of things in my life. I mean, I just got back from taking these kids. We're feeding a thousand kids a day. I started a grief center in my town 20 years ago to help children and teenagers um, who are experiencing the death of parent or sibling. I mean, I've done a lot of things, but I have to say, going and talking to those patients in the hospital might be the greatest joy I've ever experienced in my life, ever. Wow. And I think that gets back to a little bit before where I was saying that eliminating the pain of the search or the, you know, the journey through your personal vocation search and how that shifts probably throughout the years, like, especially on how it plays out, your, your personal vocation may actually always stay the same, right? But mm -hmm. it may take different forms in different yes. seasons of life, but the discovery and the pain that might be associated with that may not necessarily be a bad thing. That pain uh, goes hand in hand with that quote that you were talking about. It does. And the, the pain is, as I said, maybe we can become, um, we can accept it better. We can accept it with a greater sense of peacefulness, perhaps. And as I said, maybe uh, there won't be as much turbulence but, but there's no avoiding it. I mean, we, 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 we are not born into this world to live here without pain. And, you know, Joseph Campbell says we're called to joyfully participate in the sorrows of the world. And so I use this step of sorrow and brokenheartedness to say this is a place that I can return to frequently so when we talked a moment ago, and I was saying about the hospital work that I did, this is not a that this thing that we're talking about sorrow and how it assists us in our daily life is not a destination; it's a process. And like you were saying, it can it can be with us in other seasons of life and manifest itself um, in different ways at different times in our life. So, for example, for me, I talk about in the book. The idea of of discovering our true self, which is not my, I mean, Thomas Merton talked about that. And well, one of the ways in which we do that is through this Campbell quote that I just said of joyfully participating in the sorrows of the world. And, and, and Gandhi said, you know, if you want to find yourself, lose yourself in the service of others. So if we can find a, a practice and a discipline of being um, in a path where we will encounter sorrow, maybe in ourselves, maybe in others, then it's going to be, the, I think, the most likely place in which we will discover our true selves. And we can do it at work. <laughs> we might as well. I mean, yeah. we're here a lot. We might as well. We might as well do that. Yes, yes. That, and that's, that is, I mean, I guess that's one of the reasons – Honestly, that's one of the reasons behind why I do this podcast is 
we spend so much time connected with what we always commonly think of as our career. And again, changing that word in our heads internally to vocation and really discovering what that means to us personally, because we're going to spend so much time in our lives involved with whatever it is that work is that we are doing and it should be meaningful work. So Mm -hmm. Sean, it's been awesome talking with you. This is great. We didn't even, I mean, seriously, we didn't even go through all the steps of the personal vocation. There's also Mm -hmm. the steps of the business vocation. There's, even more cool stuff that digs even deeper into, say, the rule of life and rhythms and routines and solitude, which all mixes all together. The book mm-hmm. is great. I love it. Um, oh, thank you. I want to point people to where they can get it. Is there any kind of specific or special place or just anywhere books are sold? or Anywhere books are sold. Um, uh, online, of course. and um, or you can come by my little chocolate factory in Springfield, Missouri, and I'll yeah. sign a copy for you. <laughs> well, I found out but, that yeah. you're uh, only about eight hours from me, so I'm I'm oh, in Indiana, cool. so not nice. too far away. And uh, oh. but I'll I'll link up to the book in the show notes. Okay. What's the site for everybody to go buy your chocolate? More importantly, yes, askinosi.com, a s k i n o s i e dot com, and uh, we ship even in the heat of the summer. So nice. We love to see you. Great. Sean, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Thank you, Eric. I really, really appreciate this chance. So like I just said, at the trail end of that conversation with Sean, we barely got into the contents of the book. So you really ought to check it out. Go to the show notes for this episode to find links to all of the things we talked about and Sean's book. The show notes can be found at beyondthetodolist.com slash 236. While you're there, hit the share button. Share this episode with somebody that you know is having a vocation crisis or needs to hear more about finding the right meaningful work in their life. Just hit share over at the show notes again at beyondthetodolist.com slash 236 and share this episode with them. While you're there, make sure to check out the sponsors that support this episode and helped make it possible. Babbel. Get 50% off your first three months of Babbel by going to babbel.com and using the offer code BEYOND. That's B-A-B-B-E-L dot com and use the promo code BEYOND. ZipRecruiter, you can post there for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash BEYOND and FilterEasy. You can get your first order free by visiting FilterEasy.com or calling 1-855-910-EASY. That's 855-910-3279 and make sure that you use the offer code BEYOND. I hope that you enjoyed this episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I hope that you got beyond the to-do list and not just productivity for the sake of getting things done, but productivity in life, in your career, and in fact, in this episode, in your vocation and meaningful work. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next episode. Beyond the To-Do List is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at Noodle. 
www.mx.com.